I grew up only hunting. Okay. Because that's how we ate. And because uh, my dad's family was very poor, right? So like hunting and gathering and like you, my grandma, her dad would put her out in like her and her sisters, they would be in the bush for up to a week just to pick blueberries, Saskatoon berries, like just, oh Yeah. And in between there, and then they would bring them food in between. And in between there, the boys had to be out hunting. And so you guys all learned how to hunt. Oh, yeah. We from a young age, like we had to, I was pushing bush at like as early as I could walk pretty much. Really? Oh, yeah. So what techniques did you learn along the way? Um, Mostly it was uh, visualize. So because you could walk into a bush and it looks like a roadway, right? You okay. could just see like, say it was deer or moose or whatever but you'll just see the paths. But some of them could be old, some could be new. You have to look, really what you're looking for is new beds and then the paths out or where they're going, what the directions are. And uh, we all had to learn uh, making fires, making fires when the wood's wet. That was a big one, uh, which was weird to me earlier on. I didn't understand that, like why we had to do that. But it was more because like with winter and everything being saturated, showing you how to create a fire when the stuff is wet and stuff like that. And so what's the technique for doing that? Uh, it's actually not that hard. It's more using like the type of wood. So like a pine needle uh, and birch bark. So even like if birch bark is wet like a paper. So even if I just peel it off and I just fan it, you know, it'll dry it off and it's basically all of a sudden paper. So then you just shred it and then same thing with uh, pine trees or jack pine or any of those, uh, the sprouts on them, right? You'll, you'll see like three or sprouts and you just pop those sprouts off. They can never saturate because they're just a dense, uh, basically kin, uh, tinder, really. It's oh, all they are. Really? So you can just break a bunch of those and you just pile, uh, you basically pile them and then you make your fire. Yeah, it's... Oh, and then that heat will then dry out the, the smaller wood you... Right. It. It's really the, the dry stuff can't saturate because of how small it is. It can't absorb enough water. So it can still ignite. Oh, gotcha. And then once you got the little bit, then you start adding bigger, 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 bigger to make your fire, right? Nice. But it's knowing which ones you could use and... Yeah. So with those paths you were looking at, mm -hmm. how can you tell... A path that a deer takes oh you can you can tell right away just based on so they're very uniform like cattle right whether they'll always follow the same path the same path in same path out deer do the same thing so basically you're watching but you can see which one is used constantly and which one's an old path plus you can see what um so if they're saying they're laying bedding over here versus where's the urination spots versus you you just you start to see patterns right away and uh you see what cuz a lot of times unless they're disturbed they'll they'll use the same place consistently cuz why not it's safe but then say someone walks through or they hear something or say, you know, a herd or just even a couple get spooked, they'll move it like 10 feet down or 20 feet down. It's not like they're moving to another <laughs> shrub, right? It's um, a good example is last year we were out hunting and uh, we, I pushed this one section of bush and my brother and my buddy were posted at the two corners 
not one deer came out. 14 moose came out. What? Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, oh, well, been nice to have a moose tag. But yeah. Yeah. It, and you just don't know. But when, as soon as I got in, I'm just like, oh, this isn't a, yeah, there's no deer in here. Cause <laughs> I could start to see how big the beds were. And then as soon as you see the tracks, it's a big difference. And yeah. So what was your primary way of exposing the animal you're going to hunt? Uh, mostly it's just knowing the area. So where I grew up north of Blaine Lake. So my family, like my dad's family and all of that, like I still have lots of uncles and aunts and everything that have farmland up there. So now with all the rule changes and everything, uh, you need to find permission if you're going to hunt on the land, right? And it used to be you just go and ask the farmer. Well, now they try to use it on an app, but most farmland is registered under a corporate number or something like that. So it's impossible to tell who owns the land. So I still stick, like when I take put in for like big game draws and stuff like that, I stick to the land where I have permission. Then, but it's everything. There's elk, there's deer, there's bear, there's... So until you actually go in the bush, you don't know. Because oh, really? you could have every species in there everywhere right and then once you go in then you start to see the patterns deer you know they they tread a certain way bed a certain way same thing with moose same thing with elk same thing and some do it in pairs some do it and like mooses they're a little different uh say is you might not see uh a cow bed and a cat and a calf bed but all of a sudden you'll see this this bull and you're like oh shit there's a bull and, you know, maybe it's across the slough and you're looking at, you could be watching it. Then all of a sudden, if it spots you or whatever, then it pops up and it's gone. Because the other two, like it's watching for the mom and the, the baby, right? Oh, so it's similar to a century. For sure. And then there's times where it's only the mom, like the cow and the two, like maybe a calf or two calves, which is more what you see. You don't always see a bull with them. It might be more after mating. Uh, bears are amazing. Uh, I don't shoot bear because it's not a meat that I like, but I watch a lot of them and they're so awesome. And man, like they know you're there before you know they're there. So you could be uh, the biggest one, I think. So my dad was kind of filming. We were watching. We were, I thought we were at least a quarter of a mile away because the scope on the gun, like it was blurry. So we were using the spotting scope. And then all of a sudden you see the bear and he sticks his nose up and he's doing this. And then he kind of looked back in our direction. And I didn't even so think we really had wind. or looking around? That they're sniffing. Okay. Yeah. So and apparently, side side. yeah, depending on the bear species, you know, um, I don't know the exact science, but I'm pretty sure it's like a kilometer, a kilometer and a half away or a mile, a mile and a half away. They can smell whatever, right? Yeah. So he started doing this. You know, there's no way he could have seen us. And then all of a sudden he looks behind in our direction and gone. Oh. And I'm like, what the? How did he even know? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Animals are, they're super amazing. Yeah. But yeah, oh, yeah. So that's, you know, we just, we grew up doing that. Like even I take my son now, um, even picking berries, you know, which berries are edible, which aren't right. Uh, we've been doing that since he was four. So your dad taught you how to forage yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big thing actually. Uh, um, <laughs> and it kind of screwed up my son a little bit, 
just because like now like blueberries if we buy them from the store he won't eat them he's like those aren't blueberries they don't even taste like blueberries he goes that's something else because genetically different right yeah versus when you pick them off well it's like the best thing you've ever eaten same with strawberries though oh strawberries raspberry like there's raspberry. lots of wild raspberries in saskatchewan yeah saskatoon berries pin cherries choke cherries uh but like we'll come out of the bush and my my son's face will just be purple <laughs> just <all over. laughs> it's like how many got in your bucket bud <laughs> and he's like uh <laughs> just purple all over so what's the distinction of a berry that you can't eat that's the problem because some of the berries that you can eat that you can't eat are very similar like there's certain cherries that look the same that you can't eat but it's the bush that you know is different uh okay so you look at the surrounding yeah, bush really it's i've only shown him what he can eat off of what i know most plants and actually, this is a fact that a lot of people don't know. And I think it's between 75 and 80% of vegetation, plants, berries are, are poisonous, are not actually edible to humans and can harm humans. 100% of animals are edible to humans. Whether you want to like that or not, because it's not the fancy thing to say, uh, as omnivores, as we've grown, uh, yeah, like, unfortunately, yes, you could eat a dog, you could eat a cat, you could eat, and it is not going to harm your system at all. Plants, you're actually taking a gamble of it's probably 20%. It's not going to hurt you 80%. It's going to hurt you. Because they have emitting chemicals, defense chemicals to protect themselves that they emit. Because they don't want to get eaten. That they don't want to get eaten. Right. Right. So that's your defense. Yeah. So a safe bet would be animals if you're if you're inexperienced. If you're inexperienced. But I mean, obviously there's a plethora of amazing like berries and vegetables and stuff like that that you can eat and you yeah. just have to know which ones. Which is difficult. Like even for me, I can't describe but if I'm out in the bush, I can be like, oh, yeah, we can eat that. So you no, intrinsically no, know because you've learned from such a young age. Yeah, just from being out there all the time, right? I gotcha. Yeah. Hey, what's it, the biggest lesson that all this hunting and foraging has taught you? Just how I think, you know, when I was younger, I'm going to put it in different stages. Say like when I was in my teens. So I'd been hunting with my dad since I was little, like pretty much four. But we really couldn't start carrying a weapon, I think, until 12, once we were done our hunter safety courses, other than on the farm, you know, we'd shoot with 22s and stuff like that. Um, and for me, it was just, at that time, it was awesome. I was going out and we were shooting something. We were cleaning it, like field dressing it, stuff like that. And we had meat. We didn't understand, right? And actually the first deer I ever shot, I, I actually cried because <laughs> I was like, I was sad. I was like, oh man, I just killed that thing. Why did I do that? But then when we're eating, like I learned to understand. Then as I got older, I, I realized how connected we are to everything. Even when I go in with my son now, like we go into the bush, we'll berry pick and just we'll go on hikes for like hours. Because we have uh, like 65,000 acres that we can just go and tour. 
And well, anyone can, it's their community pastures and stuff like that. And he never wants to leave. Like he wants to camp in there forever. He wants to stay there. He wants to live there. And it's interesting to hear a kid say that. I'm like, well, but you wouldn't be able to play hockey. You wouldn't be able to play baseball. And he's just like, yeah, but just feel so good out here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, right? Force painting is a real thing though. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so you start to see like, just how connected you are to, to everything like nature and how everything is symbiotic and learn to respect everything a little bit more. And, Oh, so you see how everything does work together or in its own way. Yeah. It's all that big picture then. For sure. But that definitely took age to come with that. Cause (laughs) in my twenties, it was like, Oh, we're, you know, we're going to shoot three moose, get them clean, get them, every divide up the meat and you know that just gave 28 of my family meat for the year right so that's how we looked at it it was just goal oriented yeah but even before my father passed uh the last time we were out he had a bear tag too and he only had a bear tag because i got drawn for moose he just wanted to be able to have the rifle with him so by law he needs a tag right so he had a bear tag well course there's this little bear and he might have been two one two years old and he's sitting on the side of my 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 son hops out of the truck he's like grandpa there's a bear right there grandpa's like yep i see him he's like well shoot him he's like ah no no he's fine grandpa shoot him nope like because he didn't actually want to shoot him he's like we don't eat bear because it's not a big thing for us and my son couldn't understand. He's like, Grandpa, you have a tag. Why aren't you shooting him? And so my dad had to try to explain to him, like, I just got the tag because of the season. That's the one. So I could have a rifle in case he's posted, you know, and he could shoot it. We could tag it. And it's fine, right? It's still legal. But yeah, my son couldn't understand why he wouldn't shoot this bear. And he's like, we don't shoot animals. Just shoot animals. That's not how we work. If you're not going to eat it, we don't shoot it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but it was funny seeing my son because I remember being that age, being the same way. Like, why aren't we just shooting everything? (laughs) (laughs) We could be eating all this. Like, (laughs) yeah. That's how my daughter is. Anytime she sees deer crossing, can we shoot them, daddy? Yeah. They love deer. Mm -hmm. Well, and my dad too, it was funny because that was a main course for them growing up was venison. So he really didn't care to go out and shoot deer or anything. Moose, elk, anything that's going to harvest you. Well, especially moose, right? Because it's it's beef. It's just lean beef. But that's your year's worth of beef. Uh, the last moose we got, uh, that was my year's worth of meat, my brother's worth year's worth of meat, and my father and my mom's worth year's worth of meat. 1,200 pounds dressed. or uh, No, sorry. It was a 1,200-pound moose. So by the time it was dressed and everything, let's like, say 700, 750 of pounds of meat. Yeah. That tag is 65 bucks. So then what made you transition to IT? Uh, so, <laughs> okay, uh, goes back. Same thing with my dad. Like when he left the farm, he bought a truck, like a semi, and he started hauling. This was in the 70s, started hauling equipment up to Uranium City. And so uh, he was basically a truck driver all his life owned his own trucks. Like he was an independent contractor all his life, never worked for any, well, I mean, he was contracted on with companies, but he was always his own boss and that was his thing. 
I remember in grade, I think grade 11 or no, maybe it was grade 10. I was definitely in high school and I was thinking, you know, oh, that's awesome. Dad's got like three semis. I can just I'll go work for him. He goes, you'll never drive truck for a living. I was like, what? Why? I mean, you've done awesome. Like, why, why is that a bad thing? He goes, well, how much time was I away when you were growing up? You know, like maybe a week, maybe two weeks at a time, right? To him, that time he lost was not worth what he gained in revenue. So he's like, you're going to go to university. You're going to get an education. I'm going to be, you know, like all parents do, right? They just, and the whole time, so I went to school. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was pretty good at learning stuff. It didn't matter what. I, I, I learned pretty early on that I could learn stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll go computers, whatever. So after your, you know, your arts and science and all that stuff like that. So, but I didn't like programming because I hated just all the math and just sitting there, just coding and stuff like that. Like C++ was the big, like when I went to school, it was all DOS based. I'm sure it's still all DOS based, but like C++ was the first language. And then, you know, they still had JavaScript and HTML and, but that was before like all these languages they're basically scripted languages that you can use to code now. They, they show you how to debug and they show you where the errors are and the coding and stuff like that. That was a little bit before my time. So then I'm like, well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So then I went IT networking. So that's what I actually finished in. I finished in IT with networking. Basically, I could build a computer from scratch and I could make your house like I could network everything in your house and teach you how to use it. So then I went to work for a company, Trimac Transportation, that actually I'd worked for previous. I was I was doing tires for them. I was changing tires on semis while I was going to university. But then they brought me on and they're like, okay, well you're done school now. And they kept buying all these companies. So they would send me and my team in and we would basically we would say, okay, here we would set up their systems network them all and then we'd have to train them for every position so if you're a branch manager here's your role here's how to use the system if you're accounts receivable here's your role here's how to use your system accounts payable same thing um say your parts inventory this is how we run the inventories this so we would get third-party software they would teach us how to use it. And then I would go in and I would basically run every scenario through the system. So I would have to work with accounting and say, okay, how's this hitting accounting debits and credits? How's this work? And we would do that for every basically. So it would take us six months just to kind of run through everything to figure out, to make sure that we're not missing anything. Right. As far as capture, because we were a third party. So we would have to bill out as well. So what's capture? So capture is, uh, so uh, say you're running a program and um, uh, it's basically your billables. So you need to capture all your information. So your accounting is the other side of that, right? So if I'm running, say I'm running labor, I'm running parts and the parts could have say 10, well, more than that, but let's just say 10 to start. You're going to have 10 different individual sections. You're going to have, okay, this is your brakes. This is your axles. This is your 
uh, engine, this is your cab, this is your whatever, miscellaneous. Then you have your labor side. Okay, I was working on brakes, I was working on cab, I was working on... So it has to be able to capture that in your accounting side, the amount of labor that's billable, and then the parts that you use, the amount that's billable. And they have to... So at the system is only a system, right? It's a tool. Like all computer systems are a tool. As much information that you put in is as much information as you're going to get out. So we had to make sure that we were capturing everything so that we weren't just giving shit away for free, basically. And then you would do that for every company that you went into or that you per- the company would purchase. Okay. Yeah. And put it in a way that somebody could actually read it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically then it would give, like I could print you out a bill. So, okay, here. And then you would see the breakdown. There's this much labor. Here's the parts. Here's the, you know, miscellaneous shop supplies. Here's the, and that's how they work. But basically we would be the ones setting all that up. What's the biggest system you set up? TMT at the time. So that would be... They were called Transman. I don't know what they are. TW Systems. So basically, they were a parts management system. And the big thing for them is they would capture all the warranties. So that was the reason for going with that software is because the payback on the warranty side was what was going to pay for a lot of the licensing for the company. But they give it to you as their software, right? It's just, Hey, this can do all that stuff. But then we'd have to go into every individual piece and set up the accounting on it. So that's what I would be doing with the accountants. And then it basically, okay, then I would have to go and I would have to develop all the scenarios. So all the possible billable scenarios that I could think of in my head, and I would have to create those as work orders and then run them through the system in a test system to make sure that the accounting is capturing it so we would do that for you know anywhere from six months to a year and then we would roll it out to different branches so we would start with a branch first one branch that would be your pilot branch and then as everything's coming through every week we'd have to look and then we'd have to compare with what's in the system just to make sure that and if there's anything missed okay well where are we missing this revenue so then we'd have to go and why is this not connecting and so you did a lot of detective work. Yeah, that's really what it is. But I mean, the systems could run reports that we could check this, right? So it was just a lot of setup initially. Once the setup is done on the back end, then it's easy to roll out. Like I would come into your branch. I would say, okay, we're going to set up all the systems. Where do you need terminals? How many mechanics do you have? Where do you need terminals for them? Because they would have a touchscreen system. So they could charge out their parts, their time, whatever system they're working on. Then your accounts receivable, your accounts payable, your, you know, your shop managers, your branch managers, your, and then, you know, what reports does your branch managers need? Okay, well, this is how you run your reports for your department. And we would teach those individual departments on how to do it. How did that warranty work with the licensing? Yeah, yeah. So every, so all manufacturers typically have warranty, right? So whether... So let's use bearings, for example, whether it's Timken or Chicago Rawhide or any of them, they would have a built-in warranty. But a lot of people don't capture that warranty. Say you came into my shop and you're stuck in the States and maybe you're in, take your pick, doesn't even matter. So if I have to pay that bill as a third party, I can bill it out saying, okay, well, we're paying this shop down in Michigan because they changed this spider or this cam on 
this truck. Then it comes back to Canada and three months later, it's in a shop again and we're doing the same thing. All of a sudden it would pop up and say, hey, you just did this on this exact wheel. This has this a year's warranty or this has two years warranty or this has six months warranty. And it would automatically print your a warranty tag. You pop it off, you pop the warranty tag on and you would send it off to the manufacturer for, for rebate. That's where the capture was because before that, you would never know, right? If it was done in the States, well, how do you prove that this was just done? But because it tracks all that stuff based on the position and exactly what was just changed, it automatically flags the manufacturer warranty. And then, yeah, I think in the first year it was like we captured 850,000 in the first year. And that might've been 20% of the first capture. So before that system, who knows how much was lost, right? Oh, because the company paid out and they wouldn't send it out for rebate. Right, because you just wouldn't know, right? So it's because it was all manual tracking and you can't track it unless it's being done in your shop every time. Whereas the system, it didn't matter where it was done. Even if it was at a third-party shop, it would capture it because you were paying for this specific thing in, yeah. it didn't matter where, right? You know, there's paybacks for that kind of stuff. Definitely. When you were setting up the system, so you had your team mm -hmm. and then now when you're going to train the people to use it, how would that normally go? Well, uh, again, it's done by position, right? So, okay. What's your job? Well, I do this. Okay. So walk me through your day and they would walk me through their day. And then we would uh, like every other big company, they had KPIs, like key performance indicators or certain systems that, okay, well, now that you're under our banner, you're going to do it this, this, and this, right? And here's why. So my job was to make sure that everything always followed the most efficient way. And if they were doing it better than us, we would adopt that. So it was never like, okay, this is why we do it this way because we're the best. No, 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 no. That was the nice thing is like, oh, shit. You see, they're they're doing way better so do you see what these guys are doing over here they'd be like yeah we need to do that everywhere and then we would cascade it everywhere else you're not trying to be the best you're trying to do it the best way yeah we're trying to figure out what's the best way all the time right and the system is just a tool but what's the process what is the best pro say you're going to an arm bar for mountain what is the best way what is the most efficient Least amount of moves, least amount of energy that you're not going to give up position to get to that arm bar, right? Yeah, get rid of that excess waste movement. Exactly, right? Then that's what we're, then in business, same thing. Like, what is the most efficient way? And that's what uh, the company was looking for. Um, and I can honestly say, so I started, I was 24, 25 when they started sending me down to the States. And my first area was Texas. Awesome. Love Texas. Uh, love Texas. <laughs> uh, but I got to travel a lot of states. It was, I mean, it was pretty awesome. I equate now a lot of my, you know, what I was doing then, if I would have been like, if I would have been in jujitsu then, I think I would have even been more efficient because it changed my thinking so much on how I look at everything. And, and even in today's job, like what I'm doing now. So it transfers over into your whole your life. 100%. So you're trying to do it the most efficient way possible. What's the most efficient way 
with the least energy exerted exerted right and not not least of like what's the laziest way to do it it's i still want to be the best at it but what's the most efficient way to get to the end goal yeah Yeah. most efficient and the most effective a hundred percent yeah yeah i mean obviously there's a shit ton of variables that are going to go into that but there's always going to be the 80-20 rule. Yeah, and those guiding principles. For sure. Yeah. 100% on the guiding principles. Yeah. What'd you yeah. love so much about Texas? I had a, well, because, so the first time I went down there, I was 25. And uh, the first place they sent me to was Houston because we had a head office in Houston. And then I had to work in the surrounding areas. So Laporte, Galveston. Um, but everyone always told me, oh, yeah, you know, it's redneck, it's this you know then i got down there and it was none of that uh the nicest people i'd ever met and i could say that about almost all places and i'm going to say that in general almost everywhere i went 99.9 percent of the people beauties always and then you you get an odd dick but you get that everywhere but texas was just over the top like hey like you know oh you're here for the weekend well here come to my house. We're going to have the family over. Like I just met you an hour ago. Like, <laughs> Friends like, on the first meeting. A hundred percent. Like they're just, they want you to be part of the family. Like nothing. Like want you to be part of the family. Nice. And uh, educated like everybody else, not rednecks. And actually, especially from Saskatchewan, exactly like Saskatchewan. Cause this is large ranches, farms, like, my my cousin, uh, he uh, he actually had a scholarship to. Well, he went down. He was down in Texas for rodeoing, for bulldogging. Yeah, he got a full scholarship riding yeah. bulls. Uh, no, bulldogging. What's bulldogging? Uh, steer wrestling. What is that? So basically, uh, you chase the bull down, uh, and you jump off your horse, grab it by the horns, and you have to tip it over. Like you have to basically drive it into the ground. This is a thing. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's <laughs> and he went to college for that. Yeah, he got a full scholarship <laughs> for doing that. Oh, what a badass. And he's back in Saskatchewan now. And him is, and they are actual real cowboys. So they run the community pasture from Blaine Lake to Shell Lake. And I, I don't know the whole land. I want to say it's about 65,000 acres. So people will bring their, it's a community pasture. So people will bring their cattle there and it'll all be gridded off. And then basically they go out on horses every day and they move cattle from one area to the next. And then when people need their cattle, they go and wrangle them up and they bring them back out. And yeah, it's, he's living the real lifestyle. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like my cousin said, you'll never get rich, but you'll never be sad. Yeah. 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 I- it's, it's just different, right? It's a different mentality but he's doing what he loves though 100 and he's in nature all the time 100 he's his own boss yeah 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 they're on horse every day out in nature like you know i'll be sitting in my office and i'm getting pictures of like (laughs) (laughs) come on man yeah all comes at a cost though it does i mean it's just different right yeah then what made you transition to finance so i was on the road 80 percent of the year because i was the head of the team So I would be gone for anywhere from two weeks, sometimes three weeks, home for a week, then gone for two weeks. 
I wanted, we wanted to have children. And my wife's like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a single parent, which was fair. Absolutely. And I didn't know the impact it would have been um, at the time because we didn't have kids. So we started trying for kids. And then uh, the year Thomas was born was 2014. I had actually transitioned in 2013. So we moved back to Saskatchewan. I had a friend that ran a big, uh, large book of business at uh, in financial planning um, in the city here. He's like, come try it. He's like, I think you'd be really good at it. And I'm like, that sounds awful to me. <laughs> like, and, it, and honestly, I know this sounds weird, but I don't really put any, like money means nothing to me. And I don't mean that like it's just here you go. Like, it, it doesn't hold a high value in my lifestyle. So it wasn't something I was super interested in. And I'm like, why do you think I'd be good? He goes, because you know so many people and you're just super personable. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not asking them for nothing. Or like, you know, trying to, he goes, yeah, but you're, you're also super smart. He goes, if you get educated in something, you're, you're not going to treat it the same way. He goes, you'll treat it the same way you treat your friends now. He goes, you're going to want the best for them. So it's not like you're just trying to take their money. You're trying to give them guidance. So I'm like, okay, I'll come try it. I'm like, what's the worst thing that could happen, right? Did they? And so the company I was with at the time was uh, London Life or Freedom 55, which is no longer, it's just all Canada Life now. But they pay for all your schooling, like all your education, everything. And you just have to give them a year of your time. Okay, well, that sounds good. So I did that for about five years, but they're really heavy on the insurance side, like life insurance, uh, disability insurance, uh, all that kind of stuff, which I really wasn't into. So I decided in the fifth year, you know, after it's a hundred percent. What made you not into insurance? Um, so by the time you write a case and all of that stuff and do all your press prospecting and all your meetings and everything, it could be, you know, by the time you're done to the time you're paid is four months. Yeah. What? So you did And it was a hundred percent commission. So I left a six figure job to go to a hundred percent commission with zero income. And then I found out my wife was pregnant. <laughs> so 20 December, 2013, I started with them and Ashley told me she was pregnant on February on my birthday, February 3rd, 2014. So like two months later, the moment you took a zero. Oh yeah security job yeah well not security but more so it's performance based it's performance is that all insurance uh no and and money business as well but okay you just they really educate you on the insurance business right because that's where they make their money so then after five years and i'd built a pretty good book but it, it was a grind all the time and i was just stressed out all the time and so i just said okay look i'm gonna see what banks have to offer Cause I had all my licensing, all my schooling, everything. Well, right away I got offers from everybody, <laughs> but I had three good offers. One from a credit union, one from CIBC and one from uh, bank of Montreal. CIBC I thought was the better offer at the time. So I started there and that was in 2017. And then 
three months later, it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But then Bank of Montreal called me again. It's like, we really wanted to come work here. Now knowing being in the bank system, I kind of said, okay, like, do you guys do this, 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 and this? I didn't know this was part of it all. They're like, no, just financial planning, retirement planning, tax and estate planning. This is all you'd be doing. And you would have a book of clients. I'm like, perfect. And then I've been there ever since. What was the contrast uh, to CIBC? Oh, uh, credit. So basically with CIBC, you had to do financial planning, but you also had to give them, sell them lines of credit, sell them mortgages, sell them, like basically they want to sell you debt. So you sell a line of credit? Well, yeah, for sure. I get paid if you get a line of credit. What, really? 100%. If if a bank offers you a mortgage, a bank offer, like say you get a mortgage, say you get a line of credit, say you get even a bank account. Even if you open a bank account, I get paid for that. <laughs> well, I don't now, but under CIBCs. Yeah, like any banker, when you go and sit with those bankers, they get paid to complete those transactions for you. Now how it works is, you know, I get a base salary just to be there and service clients that I have under my book of business. But now it's basically, it's more on their wealth plan, getting them to the goal line. Okay. Here's where we're starting it. And then every year, like, let's make sure we're getting there. You were saying before September is a super busy month for you. What makes it so busy? Uh, because everyone's back to school. No one wants to do shit during the summer because our summers are so short. So everything gets prolonged and all of a sudden right at September, it's like, oh, we got to deal with all this. And then after Christmas is busy and usually RSP season right till about March 1st. And then I try to stay pretty busy right till the summer, but summers are my, definitely the slowest part of my, my year, which is fine. But September to March, September, you get that big push. Yeah. uh, And it's only for really September. And then fall usually kind of levels out. Maybe there's some activity around Christmas and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's mostly January. The big one is January to end of April for sure. Yeah. What are you mainly dealing with? Uh, just money business. Uh, so whether they're investing in the market, whether they're just looking for security, basically everything is retirement planning. You know, uh, maybe you are retiring and you just don't know how to make that transition. So uh, you would sit down, we'd build your wealth plan, say, okay, look, based on what you have, this is how much you can spend for the rest of your life without having to run out of money. So now what they're saying is, okay, well, if you're going to work for, you know, 30 years of your life, you have to have 35 years of income for your retirement, right? And everyone's like, well, why would I wouldn't spend that much? I don't have a mortgage. I don't, which... For the most part, you shouldn't going into retirement because that really does, debt does hurt you in your retirement. But if you don't get sick, well, man, you just end up collecting all this money. Now, why the reason I say that, say you get sick and you have to go into a home, now you're $6,500 a month paying for your... Oh, yeah, somebody take care of you in that home. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you have hot, like 24-hour care, if you're... So, you know, those costs can add up. Your expenses changed. Uh, for sure. But the biggest thing, well, and especially now, I mean, when debt was cheap, debt really didn't hurt you going into retirement. But say your mortgage is 7%. It's 7%. That's, that's really not a big deal. And you should be able to manage that. The problem is, is the generations coming up through the late 90s, early 2000s, debt's been so cheap that it's just like, oh, who cares? Just borrow more, just borrow more, just borrow more, just borrow more. 
So they're so debt heavy. And in fact, there's some stats you could look up. In 1997, I think they did a survey, and this is, was on Canada. For every dollar you made, you had 30 cents after you paid your taxes, your debt, your groceries, everything, right? So 30 cents on the dollar, you got to keep. That same study in 2012 after the great financial crisis, it was either 2012 or 2013, they did it again. And at that time, for every dollar you made, Canadians owed 30 cents. What? So I, I can't imagine what it is now over 11 years later. Because I bet you it's more like every dollar you make, it's probably closer to $1.80 to, let's even say, hyperbolic $2.30. So if you make a dollar, you owe a dollar thirty, because of how cheap debt was. Oh, and you got that habit. Yeah. And then interest rates increased. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you're you're spending more than you like the generations have been spending more than they make. Whereas, you know, before that, even before the boomers, but even with the boomers, they grew up so poor and not having nothing, they had a hard time spending any money. So there's this huge generational wealth transfer. Like there'll be trillions of dollars transferring from the boomers to the I guess my generation, which is X, and then from X, I what's it go? Millennial? No, uh, I don't Z keep up with that or stuff. millennials. Yeah, whatever it the is. The next right? 10 years. Yeah. But it's the generations after my generation that are even, they're in such bad shape now because of their habits that, yeah. So what have you seen as an extreme habit? Um, Keeping up with the Joneses is an extreme habit. So say me and you work the same job. We make same amount of money. Everything's the same. I have a new truck, a new boat, a new house, um, just put a new garage on, got a couple new skidoos, you know, take your pick, right? You making the same money, you have your home, you feed your family and everything else is socked away. We get to 65, you will be six times minimum more wealthy than what I will be. And we make the same amount. Same amount. And that is only based off of time and compound interest. But the fact is, is because I was using a debt system all the way through, I'm paying money to the bank the whole time. You are putting it away and you're earning money from the bank the whole time. Time and compound interest are the only real factors that create wealth. And this isn't something new. This has gone back. I mean, I think Einstein even talked about it back in the day. Time, compound interest. So every 10 years, uh, and I think the metric, metric used to be like 7.2% net of fees, for example. Say you were earning 7.2% net of fees. Every 10 years, your money would double. Let's say even with inflation, interest rates, all that garbage, let's even say it's 8% or 8.2. doesn't matter. Just by controlling your spending, living within your means, or what you think your means are, are comfortable, you're going to be so much farther ahead because every time your money compounds, so say you start when you're 20, so 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60, that's four times you're going to compound versus me that lived on a debt system, then all of a sudden at 50, I'm going to be like, oh shit. Okay, well, I've got all this debt paid off now, and now I'm going to start saving. So if you start saving 
and I'm, I'm just making up numbers here. So, uh, say you start saving at 20, 25, say you start saving $50 a month and at 50, I start saving $2,000 a month. This guy's going to be further ahead than me because of the time, because of the time and the compound interest. Yeah. It's doubling every 10 years, every 10 years compared to you're putting two K in for only 10 years. Yep. That's nothing. Yeah. But, and because you have to back end now you have to front end load so much over those 10 years, you know, what are you sacrificing just to, it's a big lifestyle change. It is right. Versus maybe you only put $50 away a check or, you know, a hundred dollars away a month. Who knows? But can you do that consistently without spending it? Yeah. And how much it will, it really hurt you. Exactly. And, 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 you know, like it's, it's a lot of that stuff, even if you get a raise at work. So pretend you didn't get that raise, live your life. Like you didn't get that raise, use that money and just put it away. Even if you're earning a meager 4%, it doesn't matter. You're earning interest on your money, but the time and the compound interest will always be the greatest factor to your wealth growth. It's just a fact. Because it doesn't matter how much you're growing as long as it's growing. Because it, that debt system, is. you're only going down. 100%. And I, I mean, the fiat system is a debt system. So the, the system we're in right now is meant to keep you that way. That, that's how it's designed. Debt so what's is, fiat? Fiat is uh, money, like paper money. Okay. Yeah. So it's called fiat. It's called, yeah, it's a, it's a fiat. So you know how they say we'll go into crypto, for example, or CBDCs like, uh, um, digital. So digital bank, something currency, whatever they're (laughs) trying to create, it's going to be the new currency to take over the fiat system. Right. But at the end of the day, it's a debt system. The debt system keeps corporations rich, keeps you poor. Fact, because it allows you to overspend consistently. How does it allow that? It's cheap. If you go in and say, "Hey, I want a line of credit." Well, how much you want? Forty thousand. Okay. Hey, your credit rating's good. You own your own house. Yeah, you know for sure. Then you go out and you just blow that money because it doesn't matter what you blow it on. Now you're paying the debt to service that. So now you're all of a sudden maybe you're paying four or five hundred dollars a month, right? Did you really need that money? Now you can't service that debt. Okay, now we take your house or you're forced to sell your house to pay off that debt. So that one decision yeah. can have that everlasting effect. For sure. So For what sure. do you see as a... So big- now, and what I'm seeing, and I see clients and I'm like, I know what you make. Why are you buying a new truck every two years? Why are you doing this every two years? Well, like, it's just because, well, my friend... Because my friend, well, my wife, because her friend has this, so my wife needs this. And I'm like, this is a ridiculous system. So keeping up that comparison yeah. is what you see most people yeah. doing. Comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. 100%. You know, and, and social media has definitely compounded that exponentially. Meaning that, you know, because everybody sees all their friends, right? And what you see online, is that real? Yeah. Like, come on. But they see all that stuff and they're like, well, why has she got this? And why has she got that? Or why has he got this? Why has he got that? I want that. See, that's strange because I like the mentality of the only time I'm going to check your bowl is to make sure it's full enough for you. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. 
but you're seeing the but contrast. Yeah, but you're an anomaly. To you. <laughs> and it's because of the way that you've chose to live your life, which is 100% commendable. And why I've always respected you more than anything. Like, it is. It's commendable. Because it's not what people do. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. No, but it's good on you. Like, good for you for being able to just, no, I, I don't fit into this. I'm going to do this. And yeah. that's important. That's free thinking. Which is very far and few between right now. Yeah. Well, sometimes we're on autopilot. 100%. What, that what's is, making us do this? Yeah. For sure. And I, and you know, like there is like pressures and stuff like that. Oh, I got to feed my kids. I got to do, you know, like all that stuff does come into play. So fair enough. Right. You know, some people just get, you get boxed in or there are jobs out there where they're paying you so much money. It's hard to get away from that. Even if it's crushing your soul. There's yeah. Those, too. I heard that phrase, the golden handcuffs, golden handcuffs. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Cause pensions can be like, if I leave here, then that's gonna like that's my pension for life, and yeah. yeah. So you're seeing more people stay with jobs they don't enjoy, then for sure. Yeah. What do you do to help them get out of this cycle? Try to educate them that really they don't have to stay in that cycle. It's really just your income to debt ratio. Don't spend what you make. Spend <laughs> less than you make, <laughs> and you'll be fine. That sounds so simple. But everybody spends more than they make right now. Like, I would say it's probably 90, 95% spend more than they make. Of the people that you see. Uh, yeah. yeah. I would say that's, and that's not even, say, in Canada, that's probably North America for sure. How but is it when you break that news to them? They don't care. Because they've grown up in a system that just money is always available till it's not. How frustrating is this for you? Eh, I'm just here to give you information. At the end of the day, you have to make the decision on which way you want to go, right? Yeah. I can't force you to do it. I'm not going to hold your hand through it. I'm going to give, say, look, if you keep doing this, this is where you're going to end up. You do this, this is where you could be. Which way? Some of them choose this. Some of them decide, okay, hey, you know what? I got to change. And they end up going the other way. What's the biggest turnaround you've seen? It would have been a couple, both high income earners too, engineers. Uh, so let's say both of them, we'll just throw out numbers on average. Each of them are making 175 a year, pretty good incomes. Uh, they have two kids, their house wasn't, you know, it's nothing amazing, but say their house is worth about 500,000. Maybe they have a $300,000 mortgage on it. Zero in the bank account. Credit cards are maxed out. Line of credit's maxed out. Why? They get new vehicles every year or every two years, both him and her. Maybe get a new skidoo every year, new quads every year. They got a cabin. They got a, you know, it's just living the de the lifestyle. Every yeah. single one of those adds up. Yeah, 100%. Because it's all debt. Well, it's cheap. Well, I pay $89 a month for that. Well, yeah, my new truck is $800 a month, but whatever, I can afford it. And that's not even, a, I mean, <laughs> I got one client he's paying $1,500 a month for a truck payment right now. $1,500. bucks. i am like, my mortgage payment's not even $1,500 a month. That's the cost of admission. Yeah. You and still got to do everything else for that truck. He's not a business owner. It's not a write-off. It's just because he wanted that truck. That's a big one. Versus maybe you just drive a shitbox, <laughs> keep your $800, bucks, and in that same 9, 10 years, 
you put that eighteen that eight hundred dollars away, it compounds, and now all of a sudden you have uh, sixty thousand dollars in an account. But he doesn't think that way, though. No. Nobody does. So how is that that engineering couple, you broke that news to them. How'd they change it? I think it's more just showing them the numbers. And it's not even the numbers. It's the graphs. <laughs> <laughs> it's the graphs. Because, because of the numbers. Numbers really don't lie, to be honest with you. But everyone likes pictures. And when they see those graphs of what they've done to themselves or what the potential difference is, that's when their wake-up call happens. Oh. So you show, them, like, you show them the contrast in a visual way. 100%. I always give to like, here's where you're at. Here's what if, if you were doing things different. And some people deny that though. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's human nature. They don't care. I've even had clients tell me, well, it doesn't matter. I won't live that long anyway. What? To wish away time. I'm like, dude, you're like 41. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What was unexpected when you first got into this finance deal? Mm. How much people's emotions override reality so everything is long term like um if you want to make real money it's long term there's no quick like oh give me the quick stock tip i'm gonna make you know 100 200 percent 300 percent yeah you might you might get lucky but that's bullshit real money is made over time again time compound interest that long-term stuff that's not sexy that's not exciting to anyone especially in today's day and age where everything is instant gratification right they need to how many likes did i have today how many you know, <laughs> just take your pick <laughs> so what i've noticed especially since covid because covid really put a spotlight on how fast shit can go the other way right so as soon as the government's locked down the markets or of the whole economy everything dropped immediately like 20 because nothing was happening. Panic everywhere. Now, if you're in your retirement and this is your retirement funds, yeah, absolutely. There's some panic because all of a sudden you're down 25% of your, if you have 100,000 now, you only have 75,000. Shit, what's going on? Now, if you're 40 and you have 100,000, you only have 75,000. I'm telling you, who gives a shit? Because the way the markets work, where you make your money is in those market drops. And every seven, five to seven years, there is some sort of correction or pullback. Problem was, is coming out of the financial crisis of 20 or 2008, from 2009 to 2000 and basically 20, when they pulled the plug with COVID or 2021, that was the longest bull market run. And when they say bull market run, it just means they had a full run in equity markets. Oh, so everything was going up at the time. 100%. And there would be a little bit of like certain sectors would have like, so in 2014, say oil dropped, but all of a sudden banking took off or, you know, sectors perform at different times. But let's just say the equity markets on a whole went f- the longest they've ever had without a correction. So when they say bull markets, really that's, you're talking fixed income when they say bear markets. They're talking fixed income to bull markets. So that's a 20% change. So up or down. So if you go 20% up from the current or from the, the current low, they're going to say we're in a bull market run now. And now if you take a 20% drop the other way, they're going to say we're in a bear market now. That's when you hear all that bull and bear bullshit talk. But at the end of the day, now 
they're saying we're in a secular bull market, meaning that only certain sectors are performing right now, uh, which they're correct. I mean, tech is up, I think, 33% year to date. Banking is in the shit can because of the interest rates being hiked so much. So all the banks are squirreling away money to in case loan loss provisions have to be enacted, right? So if people start defaulting on mortgages and lines of credits, so their banks are just protecting themselves on that end. But they're still profitable. They're not going anywhere, especially in Canada. They're not like the U.S. banks where the regional banks, these are federally regulated banks. Even the credit unions going to be just fine. So what they'll do is buy banks right now. Everyone's like, well, why would you be buying banks? Look, they're losing... You know, they're down 1%. I mean, yeah, they're down almost 22%, I think, since 2021, 2022. Fuck yeah, buy banks right now. Oh, they're on sale. Yeah, (laughs) but nobody looks at that. They just look at the current performance. So um, Warren Buffett, I'm sure you've heard it. Like, yeah, so dude's like 90. But he's still, his concepts didn't really change. His is buy and hold forever. Fair enough, you could put some arguments to that. But at the end of the day, it's still the same thing. He's, his big thing is be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. Well, right now, everyone is fearful. And it's like, everything's on sale right now. This is when you should be buying, but nobody wants to buy. They will wait till the market stabilize or till the price goes up and then they'll buy back in. When the markets go down, they sell. So to answer your question, I know we went a long round on <laughs> The biggest thing that surprised me is in everywhere in your life, you're looking for the best deal to buy, right? Okay, I'm going to buy a new pair of shoes. Oh, shit, they got them on for 50% off. I'm going there. With people's money, because there's so much emotion attached to it, they will sell low and buy high. Because in their brain, shit's going bad, I'm selling. Oh, things are going well now. I'm buying. While things are going well, price is up. It's all emotions. I don't manage money. I don't. I manage people's. Well, I can't even say I manage people's risk. But yeah, it's their risk. It's their emotions. Get your emotions out of it. How do you do that to a client? It's tough. And a lot of times they don't listen anyway. So, (laughs) What have you learned as a tool? What do you generally do? I just show them numbers. I I just put, look, math is, and math doesn't lie. Like the numbers don't care. Yeah, there's there's always an answer when it's math. Exactly. Yeah. So I can take two starting points. This is the course you're on. This is the course I want you to be on. (laughs) And the course that hopefully that you want to be on. Yeah. I will always win (laughs) if you're not on this path. Yeah, because I'm just going to make sure you're managing, you know, your expectations and not overspending. Realistically, you could just you could make it so simple. Yeah. Don't spend more than you make and you'll be fine. That is honestly the most simple concept for wealth. Yeah, that's the most simple concept for diet and fitness, too. 100%. Don't eat more (laughs) than you need. Yeah. (laughs) You're absolutely right. (laughs) Simple doesn't mean easy, though. It doesn't mean easy. Well, it's not easy. I mean, otherwise, everyone would do it, right? Why doesn't everyone do jiu-jitsu? Jiu-jitsu is the best thing I've ever found in my life. I think it made me a nicer person next to having children. I would say having children, definitely number one. 
it it made me more empathetic. It made me understand better. Uh, next was jujitsu, being humbled, being like just meeting people, learning about you know, it just made me a better person for sure. But it ain't easy. <laughs> yeah, I think if it was easy, you're not doing it right. Well, yeah, exactly. If you're like, oh, I just I just go and I'm just awesome at everything. Wow. Well, then what are you training? Yeah, you're not doing anything. Yeah, you want to find those flaws though. Yeah. Yeah, like even, you know, there's some days where I'm sore and yeah, maybe I'll choose easier roles. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But I didn't get that choice when I was starting. Like I had to go through all the <laughs> Yeah, but who got that choice when they were starting? Yeah. You, know, you get beat up right away. But there's times too where I'm in a learning process where I'm like, okay, here we go. And I'm like, I'm picking Tony. I'm picking, you know, Dave. I'm picking Eric. <laughs> I'm picking Cole. I'm picking... You know, everybody that's going to make really challenge you challenge me. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's super important yeah. for me personally. Well, absolutely. Because you want to expose those those flaws so you can correct them. Yeah. Especially when I'm because I have transitioned over the last couple of years from more of a sport mentality to more of a defense mentality. And that's why, you know, like I love playing guard and sweeps <laughs> and stuff like that because nobody ever sees the tax coming from the bottom. They all just think that they're doing stuff to you. And then all of a sudden I'm, they're in a triangle. Yeah. What I love made that. you transition to want to do more defense. A hundred percent. So now basically I'm trying to sweep immediately and I'm using a hundred percent top pressure. No, but which what made is, you transition to that? What's to, that? To being more defense. What made you want to do that? I think it was just my conversations with Graham and, uh, you know, just talking it through with some of the other guys in the gym. Uh, I think more just because, you know, I wanted to, you know, just level up. I'm like, oh, yeah, this little purple belt. I'm just like killing all these purple belts. I'm like, what's going on here, Graham? Like, which, fair enough. But he's like, well, you always just concede guard and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm still submitting guys. I'm like, what's the matter? <laughs> He's like, yeah, but what can you do on top? So then I'm just like, okay, well, sure, what I could do on top. <laughs> but at the same time, the top that I like to play, I still have to kind of be careful because I don't want to hurt my training partners because I, I like a heavy top pressure, like making sure that my shoulder is in your chin, that you're pointing. So I'm trying not, and that's a hard balance. You're trying to make somebody extremely uncomfortable on the bottom. Without making them not want to roll with me ever again. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm still trying to make you uncomfortable, but I still want, but we're still friends. We're still friends. Yeah. I still want you to train with me. Right. I'm yeah. just trying to show you that like, if you're competing against guys, this is nothing what they're going to do to you. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I found too, like on the top game, like my, so maybe I can do three hard five minute rolls. If I'm playing bottom guard top, I think the one Graham had me go against, um, it was Daryl and Lee at the time. And I think I went 25 minutes straight before they finally took me out. <laughs> Were you, yeah, but you stayed on top. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the last, well, I will say the first 15 minutes of Shark Tank, I definitely stayed on top. But as I got tired, I probably was hitting hitting more uh, from the bottom side. <laughs> yeah. It is just, you but get exhausted. gravity is right? a powerful force. 100%. Yeah. And same with that patience piece you were talking about before, 
with the money management yeah. is if you have patience, you're going to do all right. Yeah. And that's another thing too, right? Like we're all stay in a position and I'll let a guy squiggle and move just to see what he's doing. Yeah. Really cook him a bit before though. Before I'm transitioning, right? Whereas before I'd go, okay, I've got to go here. Now I got to go here. And a lot of time on that second step, I'm already like, they're like, oh, you gave me, and they pop their knee in or pop their elbow up or like, I'm just like, oh shit. Versus if I would have just not moved, you know, and let them suffer yeah. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, look at Gordon Ryan. Whether you like the dude or not, who gives a shit? He is fucking killing everybody for a reason. And they are like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's on roids or he's huge or what. Every dude he's fighting is on roids and huge. It's got yeah. nothing to do with that. His, his technique. Yeah. Like, look at his last match. And yeah, okay, they're not at the same ranking. But um, Gaudio is, he was, wasn't that who he fought off? Yeah, yeah, Gaudio, yeah. Like, he was, he's been on a steamroll lately. And he looked like he couldn't do a fucking thing. Like Gordon Ryan, he put himself back into half guard. How many times in that match? Like he was playing with him. Yeah, like, but he was tiring him out. Yeah, his game. He is, was cooking him. Yeah, continuous pressure over time. Yeah, time is his weapon. Yeah, that's why he likes the no time limit, right? <laughs> Cook him and then finish him. Yeah, and to get you're absolutely right to get back to your point. Time and <laughs> compound interest. <laughs> so the more time I'm smothering you, where you're exhausted just adds to my finish oh hell yeah yeah oh man is there anything i haven't asked you um i don't know i'm gonna ask you some questions <laughs> all right let's go okay so um what made you decide to go into the career path that you went into like with what got you into the physical rehabilitation all of that stuff and, and fitness yeah I think I was serving at a fine dining restaurant mm -hmm. and one of my friends said, Hey, you want to be a waiter for your whole life? You, you have all these other skills. And, and he got me onto a commercial gym and I was thinking, I don't know if I really want to, I, I did the interview and found out I had to really commit and I was like, I don't know. It's not for me. I'm, I'm out. I, but then later on in that fall, I was thinking, ah, well, well, let's, let's chance it. Let's see what happens. So I took the job, turned out I was pretty good at it. And I really enjoyed seeing somebody do something mm -hmm. that they didn't believe was possible. Yeah. So I'd have a client come in and, okay, I got 7 a.m. available. Oh, I can't make it. I sleep. No, no. I have 7 a.m. available. So you're going to make that work or I can't train you. Mm -hmm. And they would. And then after four weeks of 7 a.m., they say, oh, man, it's, I never imagined I could be here at 7 a.m. And, could, could we do 6 a.m.? I said, well, I don't have 6 a.m. because I have somebody at 6 a.m. But to know that they wanted something earlier. Yeah. That's big. That's awesome. Okay. What got you into shooting? I was scared of guns. Really? Oh, yeah. Terrified just, of them. Just didn't understand everything. Well, I never grew up with it. I'm, okay. My parents didn't have guns. Yeah. So I saw this. I see it in movies. But the first time I held a gun, I thought... This is terrifying. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about this item that I'm possessing. So I better learn about this if I'm scared of it mm -hmm. so I can handle it safely. And then if I have kids, I can show them how to be safe with these guns and these firearms. Yeah. Now, what about jujitsu? 
what got me into jujitsu. Yeah. One of my buddies, Jay, he explained it to me and he said, Hey, you should go to a class sometime. So I showed up, did the class and the change room almost vomited left and said, Oh man, I better get good at this. Cause I never want this to happen to me again. Yeah. <laughs> so if we were just meeting and you just told me those three things, your personality is not normal. So throughout my career, especially when I was in IT, because I was working for a big corporation, they used to send us to all these like training and like how to uh, diagnose different personalities so that we could, okay, like you're going to get pushed back on certain personalities. How do you identify that personality? How do you train them? Your personality is pretty similar to mine. Whereas like when something scares me, it's like, especially if I'm like, what the fuck? Or if I had a, a conception of something and it was completely opposite, I'll actually go harder on that and just force myself to do it. Most people won't do that. As soon as something becomes hard or something scares them, they're out. That's it. And that's actually, it used to be, and I think, uh, the testing for this back in the 90s was whether it was a 40-60 split or a 50-50 split. I think now it's an 80-20 split. Like you would be in that 20%. Because nobody wants to be challenged. Nobody wants that scared feeling or that hurt feeling or that inadequate feeling. Because people's emotions and people's feelings are so powerful that it just can ruin everything else. Yeah. I've found, though, the more comfortable you make yourself, mm -hmm. the more uncomfortable it is. 100%. <laughs> Get comfortable living in hell. Yeah. That was Hicks and Gracie's thing. I watched him when he was in the river doing the cold water stuff. And yeah. he goes, got to be comfortable in hell. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. But that was that stat, I actually think it's worse. It could be. So at that commercial gym I was at, there are 2% of the memberships that we had went to the gym two times a week. 1% mm -hmm. of them had personal trainers. The other 1% were able to do it on their own. Really? There are so many inactive members of that gym. Well, that's why these mega gyms make so much money, right? Because every New Year's, all these people sign up and then they just never get rid of their membership. <laughs> yeah, well, they get them on that continuous payment plan yeah. and then they keep on convincing themselves, I'll, get, I'll do it today. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it next month. I'll do it next month. And that five years later... You pumped out all this money and you've got nothing for it. Mm -hmm. See, and my brain messes me with the, the other way. So now, especially like anytime, like if I've been hurt or I can't train jujitsu or anything like that, I, I, I don't go into a depression anymore, but it, it messes with me a little bit where I'm just like down. Right. Uh, but I work out all the time. Like I, I'm like every day I stretch every day, hands down, especially at my age, the older I get, I think that's more important than even like weights and stuff like that. Um, I still do some weights, but mostly it's calisthenics. Uh, I do a lot of body weight exercises, but flexibility for me is like, you know, I'll show you what a 45 year old can do. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's funny. Once you get into that routine of doing it all the time, when you don't do it, it's the opposite where you're like, oh, this is, this is horrible. I should be doing something. I should be working out. I should be doing jujitsu. I should be, you know, I have this to do. But if you just want to sit on the couch and eat potato chips, 
it's the same thing, right? You get into that routine. Well, it's hard to get out of that routine too. And then when you're not in that routine, you're like, ah, I should be sitting on the couch right now. I should be. Yeah. Well, the odds are stacked against you, whatever path you take. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But it just shows you how strong your brain is. Like, and, I, and that's what I'm trying to teach my son right now is that your brain can learn anything. You will have dispositions to certain areas. Interests will always excel your your brain matter, right? Like if you're interested in a certain area, you're gonna your brain is gonna just you'll excel faster in that certain area just based off of your interests. But it doesn't mean you can't learn this over here. It just you have to put the time in, right? And maybe you have to work a little harder because you just don't care about it. So it's dry. Um, and that's how I've been trying to explain jujitsu to Thomas is like, okay, um, you know, you love striking because we have a bag downstairs. And so he's been, he likes the combinations. He likes hitting and stuff like that. This year was the first year he came to me this summer. He's like, dad, I want to start training jujitsu. And I'm like, really? And he's never, he, he hated jujitsu. He was off of jujitsu. <laughs> I think I started him too early. I think it was four when he started with Graham. <laughs> he got headbutted and he was out. Um, and I'm like, really? And I'm like, you know, it's just going to be a lot of like, all we're going to be doing is like pretty much a lot of guard and mount stuff for the first year. He's like, yeah, I understand. So it's been a month now. And for the first month, we've been just working guard stuff. Mostly like triple threat and, you know, guard sweeps and all the basic stuff and uh, and some of the mount stuff. But I probably keep him there until, you know, for at least six months of just doing that. Yeah, it's boring. Dude, he could do it for the next 10 years. 100%. And still not how many be people, our age. <laughs> how many people get to mount and then can't do shit or just lose it right away? Oh, yeah. Like, I let people mount now because I'm just like, well, you just keep jumping up and like, I'm out right away. I'm like, your mount is terrible. Yeah. The position does some work, but you got to do the rest of the work for yeah. that position. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, and it's been good. And takedowns. And because I he liked the striking part, the nice thing was is he's not going to be like just sitting there waiting to get hit and hopefully can get a hold of him is that's the part he likes right so and i told him i go don't ever think you're lighting someone up because the chances are you could get just lit up just as much you throw that jab you throw that cross as soon as that goes into their face and their eyes close or they you you're down and you take them down get it to the ground fast <laughs> as possible Punches don't hurt on the ground. Well, unless they're in your mountain, they're slamming you. Well, then you shouldn't. <laughs> well, that's actually a common misconception. So you see a lot of guys get hit from the mount yeah. in UFC, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, they get knocked out. But the most severe thing you can do when somebody's on the ground, soccer kick to the head. Oh, yeah. 100%. You're but correct. you only see the what, you, what they show you on TV because that's getting hit in bottom mount is actually quite safe. Mm-hmm. Because you're getting hit. You in just the can't forehead. generate enough power, right? Yeah, exactly. But even the talk guy, like even if I'm sitting up and I, unless I'm like trying to like drop yeah. an elbow on your head and stuff like that. But even if you're in my mount, I can still over and yeah. I can still cradle you in, and you're not hitting me hard. You're probably just doing this to myself. Totally. Side. But a soccer kick to the head—that is. But they—you'll never see that. No. Because that will—that's murder. Well, not only that is, if you're on the ground, 
in order for them to soccer kick, they have to be up and then coming at you, right? Yeah, so why yeah. are you still laying on the ground? <laughs> exactly. You should be standing up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, it's an amazing sport. <laughs> and I've met some like super good, well, obviously super awesome people <laughs> doing it. So. so when you say when you're out and you can't do the activity, you get a little stir crazy? Yeah. How do you, how do you manage that? Well, it depends. Like in the winter, uh, the winter has been different now because Thomas, he loves hockey. That's his sport. He chose that. I never played hockey growing up, but I help coach. So I'm on the ice with him all the time. And just so I'm learning how to skate and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, or we'll go skidooing or I just, I got to be outside. I got to be outside doing something. I can't be in the house. I find if I'm in the house, that's when my brain calm, like the, the stir crazy calm, like that's when it really messes with me. So if I'm already done working out and I'm still messed up and stuff like that, I got to go outside. I got to just, whether I go for a walk or take the dog out and play in the backyard or I just got to be outside. So movement's your medicine. hundred percent. Yeah. And I found that more, well, also too, like I'm in a desk all day, right? Oh, right. So a lot of times, like even it's funny in between appointments, I'll just move my chair back and I'll like pump 20 <laughs> dips or like I'll do some like Body horse dance or something or like just yeah. wall sits, like just trying to, yeah, it's sitting in a desk all day. We are not designed for that shit. Yeah. That makes sense. Now I understand how mm-hmm. you can get stir crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm contrast. not, I'm not good at just being stationary. I got to, <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. Like even at home and it's funny because people will come over and everyone's sitting on the couch. Like if we're watching something and I'm actually lying on the floor and then I'll have my legs up on the couch just to like flatten my back out. Oh really? Yeah. 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 So you, you're, you're always doing something yeah. or, physically or I'm sitting in Lotus on the floor. I barely sit on the couch anymore. Nice. Yeah. That floor stuff's awesome. Yeah. You sleep. Well, that's what a lot of my stretching was when we're watching TV. I'm you sleep on, do you sleep on a bed though? I do, yeah. Ah, okay. But you, uh, you got to try sleeping on a thin mattress on the floor. Yeah, so my wife hated our bed at first, <laughs> and now I hate it. Because <laughs> it was so hard. Because I, I, and it was perfect. Like, it was just stiff, right? And I sleep so good. But now, as over time, it starts to... Yeah. And she's like, I love this bed. And I'm like, eh, I'm going to sleep on the floor. <laughs> but I agree with you on that. And uh, even when we go camping, like if me and my son go camping, like I don't, air, no air mattress, nothing. Like I'll sleep on the ground. I, it's I, more comfortable. I, it is. Yeah. yeah. Rocks in the bed. Well, usually there's moss and stuff. We yeah. If you're on rocks, on I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to put a mat down. Yeah. 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 But for the most part, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I find I actually feel better. Yeah, it's weird that way. When you're sleeping on the ground, yeah. when you're camping. And I wanted to try one of those. I know they're not peckle boards or whatever they're called, but um, you know, those old Japanese, like, oh, yeah, those be just steel spikes. They were like a bed. Like, a, I can't remember what they call them. Oh, was can, it one of those straw mats kind of thing? No, no, no. Like, it's a bed and there'll be spikes like this. What? Really? So, but like, like four inch spikes, but tons of them. Yeah, like hundreds of them, right? Yeah. yeah. So they're they're close together. And basically that's what you sleep on. So they just have a blanket over it and you sleep on the blanket and then you can have a blanket over you if you want to stay. I got to check this out. It's not even new. <laughs> like this is cent- centuries old. And But basically what it does is it fixes everything. Really? It, it's basically giving you acupuncture and 
whatever else, like all through your sleep, it's basically correcting everything. <laughs> all right. I got to do the research on this. Well, you could pull it up immediately. Yeah. I, yeah I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm totally checking I don't it know out what they're called. Yeah. I got to check that out after. See, see how legit that really is. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, should we call it? For sure.